couple weeks ago, uh, Jeff introduced to us this new sermon series that we're in the early kind of phases of, and it's looking at different virtues that become present in the life of the believer, follower of Jesus, as we mature into our faith. And there are a couple things that um, have just been covered already that I want to kind of hit on just as a reminder, because I think they're important. Um, in, in Jeff's sermon, he said that it's our faith that powers these virtues. <clears throat> Excuse me, these virtues. Um, it's, it's our belief in Jesus that he is who he says he is and could do what he says he can do that begins the process of these virtues becoming manifest in our lives. It's, it's like these, the seeds of these virtues were kind of planted in our soul and then our belief in Jesus for salvation sort of ignites those things and they begin to grow and they begin to sprout and sometimes they, they grow faster than others. But as they're growing and as our faith increases, uh, so does the manifestation of these virtues in our, life. And then, in our lives. And then last week, Kerr uh, introduced kind of the first one to us and it was gratitude. And we spent some time looking at just gratitude. And, and I've been reflecting a lot on that sermon this week. And I'm so thankful and appreciative of just Kerr's uh, teaching on that. But he said um, that the virtues of God are the evidences of the character of God and the followers of God. And this is, this is our sanctification at work. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. He says that uh, we, are, we are maturing into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, these virtues, as we grow and as we mature in our uh, pursuit of Jesus, um, they begin to reflect Jesus to the world around us. And so it's important that these things are being on display in the lives of believers. And so uh, I gave you kind of the list there, the seven that we'll be covering over the next few weeks. Today I have the opportunity and the privilege of diving into the virtue of generosity. Uh, generosity, um, just a quick definition, but I think we all know what it is, but it's sometimes good to define these words. Um, it's, it's the showing a, a readiness to give more of something than is necessary or expected, such as our money or our time. Sometimes it could even be our affection. Um, our, our son, he's nine months old today, and he was blessed with a nice round bald spot on the back of his head ever since he first took his first breath in this world. And our daughter loves to just shower her affection on him, and she really loves the bald spot. I don't know why. It's, it's what she really, she likes to kiss it a lot. That's, she kisses his cheek, his forehead, his nose, but always the bald spot. And the other day, my wife picked our son up, and I heard her go, it's gross, what is this? And his head was all sticky, and then Jade comes in eating the sucker, like, what, what, you know? So she was just showering generously her affection onto our son. But in our culture, I think generosity um, is interesting. Like, we like the idea of it, right? Like, when we hear stories of generosity, they usually make the news, and we're like, oh, that's really cool. I mean, you might have remembered a few years ago, uh, George Clooney invited 14 of his friends to a dinner, and they all sat around the table, and in front of them was a briefcase. And he said, hey, look, this briefcase is for you, but before you open it, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you guys. You've been kind of a big part of my life, my story. I'm so thankful for you, but the contents of that briefcase, it's all yours, okay, my gift to you. And so they all open it, and if you don't know the story, uh, the briefcase, they were full of a million dollars each. He gave away $14 million, a million dollars to each friend, um, he even paid the taxes on that, so they didn't have to, they didn't have to do that. What a, what a guy, right? What a guy. Like, we hear things like that, and they make the news, and they, they become headlines, right? Or maybe to a lesser extent, you've heard of pay-it-forward campaigns, right, where someone 
maybe does something for the person around them or after them. Maybe you've been to a coffee shop, you've gone through a drive-thru, and they're like, hey, the guy in front of you paid for yours, right? And you're like, oh, that was, that was cool. I appreciate that. Um, I was just curious, trying to see what the longest pay-it-forward chain I could find was. And so I Googled it. And uh, actually, this, this is a real thing. They made a documentary of it, or it's supposed to be being made. And um, this group called Live for Another, uh, a few years ago, went to a coffee shop and paid for the next 10 customers. And I said, hey, we want to pay for the next 10 customers. Um, but when they come to check out, you got to say, hey, the person in front of you paid for your drink. Would you like to do that for the person after, right? Start in a pay-it-forward chain. That chain lasted two full days, and it covered 3,600 people. Pretty incredible, right? I would love to meet the guy who ended it. What a, what a bold guy, right? Like, was he just having a bad day? Or, sir, the 3,600 people before you, no. I'm just done, right? I'm watching a documentary just for that because that's, that's amazing. Um, but look, we like the idea of generosity. We hear stories like this, and it, it catches our interest. Um, we kind of like the idea up until the point where we're challenged to then be generous ourselves sometimes, right? We start to, to think about what about our own money? What about our own time? How do we give this stuff away? How much is enough? Uh, is, there, is there a limit to it? Um, and today what I would love for us to just kind of look into uh, is this virtue of generosity. One, just look at the generosity of Christ. Um, as followers of Jesus, we should do our best to try to match our lives to the way that Jesus lived. But there's something I believe that generosity really is helpful to in the life of the believer. And I have it there on your notes. And I believe it's this. I believe that generosity is the key to unlocking life abundantly. I believe it's the key to unlocking life abundantly. And where that comes from is this line that Jesus says when he's preaching to a crowd in John 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In this life, Jesus... And following Jesus is very countercultural to the patterns of this world. Jesus sets this up in that one line there. He says, The prince of this world came to take, but I came to give. In Satan we have death, but in Jesus we have life. And I believe it's generosity that becomes, is the key to, to exposing us and helping us live this abundant life that, that Jesus wants us to live. And I want you to just think about that word abundance for a second. Because I think if you ask people on the street, hey, what does abundance look like? How would they answer that? I think most people would answer it with a lot of things, right? Our lives are full of, of stuff, of things, of possession. Maybe we're busy. And we are all those things. Um, in America, we are some of the uh, most well-off people in the world, also some of the most uh, busy people in the world. There's just some stats I want to share with you to kind of highlight this, but from the Pew Research Center, it says in the last decade, nine out of 10 Americans have a standard of living that is above the global middle income standard. So globally, 90% of our population lives above what is considered the middle income standard across the globe. Um, using these global income standards, only 3% of our population is considered low income compared to 56% globally, and 2% of our population is considered poor compared to 15% uh, globally. Those living in the United States who are living below the United States poverty line, we still live on $6 more per day 
than what is considered the threshold for middle income status across the globe. So however you want to kind of slice it, however you want to look at it, our country, by any measure, is always right near the top when it comes to some of the wealthiest countries in the world. We have, we have a lot of things, right? We have a lot of things, but we also do a lot of stuff. In this country, a report that was uh, published in 2023 of this year, January, says that the U.S. employee works more hours per year than any other employee in, in industrialized nations. That's men and women. It says that the, the United States is the only industrialized country in the world with no federally mandated parental leave when a child is born. So every other country in the world, moms are federally mandated to stay at home, and in some countries, dads are as well. And then in the United States, we're the only industrialized country in the world without a single federally mandated paid vacation day. So we have federal holidays, but there's no one saying you're not supposed to work on those days, right? France, the world leader, pays for its people to have 30 days a year off of work. Isn't that unbelievable? A whole month. It's kind of crazy. So by, by any way you look at it, right? We are some of the wealthiest people in the world, but we're also some of the busiest. Our lives, they're, they're stretched thin, and they're stuffed full. That's abundance, right? Or is it? We also, in this country, when you compare our country to the world, we have the highest rate of adults reporting mental health uh, illnesses at 25%. Those mental health issues also have led our country to lead the world in suicide rate. We also have the second highest drug use rate. The United States also has one of the highest rates of emotional distress when it comes to being connected socially uh, and economic need amongst developed countries. So I'm not trying to make a correlation. It's not what we're here for. But I do ask myself this question. Um, If we have so much, why is it that we struggle to abound? Do we even know what it means to abound the way that Jesus talked about in, in John chapter 10? Again, I believe the key to experiencing this is through generosity. And so we're going to be uh, primarily in the text, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if you want to open your Bibles there, I'm sure it's probably also on the screen behind me. We'll be reading uh, all 11 verses. This is Paul writing to the believers in Philippi. He says this, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Would y'all pray with me? Father, as we uh, gather here this morning, just to open up your word, uh, we read it, uh, we consider it. God, I pray that we um, would submit to your authority. We would submit to the example, Jesus, that you've set for us, that we would be people known for our generosity, and that 
uh, through that generosity, not only us, uh, we would experience life and life abundantly, but the people around us as well. God, thank you for just this time this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So in this life, Jesus is our standard. Just wanna, I want to kind of say that and state that before we look at this passage in depth here, that Jesus is our standard. And you guys know what standards are, right? It's kind of the thing by which you measure all other things against. And so you could have a standard for anything. In, in our house, we drink a ton of coffee. And for us, the standard for what a good cup of coffee is, we love French truck coffee. Uh, if you don't know about French truck coffee, it's a local, uh, local coffee, coffee company across the lake. Um, but in our opinion, it is, it is our favorite coffee to drink. That's the standard, right? Maybe, maybe you look at something else like a night out. You're going out to dinner. Depending on the occasion, there's probably a standard. If it's a, if it's a dinner for graduation, it's probably a different spot you're going than just some random Tuesday in the middle of February, right? Um, th- there's a standard for maybe where you're going. Just down the street, the restaurant Tavi opened up. Not sure if you had the opportunity to eat there yet, but that restaurant was a was an a offshoot of one in New Orleans called Shia, which I've had the privilege of eating at, and it's really, really good. And so knowing that that's from there, I have a standard. I'm going in with expectations, right? There's, there's a standard when I get a chance to go eat uh, down the street here. And the same thing, maybe there's a movie, certain genre that you like, certain actor or actress that you like. There's a standard when it comes to these things in your home. You know, hey, this is the Englert household. In our house, there's a standard for how we're going to conduct ourselves you guys get what a standard is, right? I don't need to keep kind of beating this down. But in our lives, Jesus is our standard. This isn't debatable. Like, we don't, we don't challenge this. We don't question this. Our culture even understands this. Because our culture asks the question, what would Jesus do? They get WWJD. They're not asking, what would you do or what would I do, right? They're asking, what would Jesus do? And, and because I'm declaring this to you, I want to support this with Scripture just to give us a, a concise picture of who it is uh, that is our standard. And that's from Colossians 1, 15 through 21. So I'm going to read all of this. Again, this is Paul writing. But just listen to the description of who the person of Jesus is that Paul is assigning here to Christ. Verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I've heard that before. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Listen, Jesus is our standard. He shows us how we should speak. He shows us how we should live. He shows us how we should love. And today we're going to see that he shows us also how we should be generous. So let's take a look at the life of Jesus, the generosity of Christ. Let's see and uncover sort of the things that he let go of so that others can experience life. And maybe through this generosity, it'll unlock abundant life in our lives as well. So looking at the first four verses here, Paul 
is setting up for us just sort of a, a posture that our hearts should have as we consider some of what Christ did. Verses 1 and 2, he's kind of saying to the church there, look, if you want encouragement, if you want comfort, if you want participation, if you want affection, then be united in heart and mind. Rally around the same thing. In verses 3 and 4, he tells us what that thing is. I want you to be united around practicing humility. Value one another more than yourself. Look to serve the interests of other people. Paul is kind of setting the table for these next few passages uh, that he goes on to explain to us how Jesus lived, right? That we should be in one mind and one accord, that we should look to serve other people, that we should humble ourselves. And in verse 5, he says, this is how we do this. We have the mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Other translations of this verse say to have the same mindset of Christ or to let the same mind of Christ be in you. The way that Paul phrases this, he's not, he's not merely suggesting something. This is him being sort of assertive. It's an imperative. It's a command. If we're going to be generous, then we must have the same mind of Christ. We must let the same mind of Christ be in us. And so as we look to see what Christ's mindset was, because we're trying to match our mindset to his, we're going to spend a lot of time in the next three verses. Jesus gives us these three keys to experiencing abundance, abundant life. He also gives us three keys of being generous here. Verse 6 says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What Jesus shows us in verse 6 is we are to be generous with who we are. We're to be generous with who, you're, who we are. I want you to do a little activity with me. I know it might seem a little elementary, but Paul uses this word here. He said that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I want you to take your right hand, all right? With your right hand, I just want you to grasp the air in front of you. Yep. Okay, so notice, I didn't show you what that looks like, but all of you are doing this right now, all right? Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, with your left hand, so I want you to do. I want you to do the opposite of grasp with your left hand, right? And it should be open. This is, this is the posture of Jesus when he was considering these things, right? With open hands, Jesus held who he was, though he was in the form of God. With open hands, he, he just let that rest, right? This is not biblical, but when I read this passage, I think about this. It's just my own commentary, uh, but I think about, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, hanging out, just enjoying each other's, you know, company. World's created, it's all good. Adam and Eve, you know, hanging out, like God, God's got this beautiful thing going on. And then sin happens, and immediately there's this need for a rescuer, right? God's plan, it wasn't thwarted, it wasn't, you know, ruined, Right, God had a plan to reunite humanity back to him, and it was through Jesus. But I imagine like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of sitting around, and it's like, hey, guys, we need a rescuer. And it's like, me, him? You, like, you're just kind of like, no, but Jesus, right, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was generous with who he was. He was our Savior who he didn't hold on. He said, you know what, I will embrace humanity, take on humanity, as we're about to read, to serve humanity. Right, with open hands, be generous with who you are. 
God created all of us with certain personalities, with certain gifts and talents, with certain passions. One of the things I love to do with my job, if you don't know what I do, I work uh, at a high school uh, here in Covington, North Lake Christian, and I have the opportunity to work a lot with juniors and a lot with seniors. And one of the things I love doing is helping students identify their unique kind of qualities and characteristics. Like this is who God made you to be. And it's okay that it's different. It's actually awesome that it's different, right? And, and we could celebrate these things. But it's not enough just to recognize those things. The other part that I like to do is to take the areas in this world that are broken and in need of restoration and showing students, listen, the way you're made is a perfect match for stepping into this spot. And we begin the process of connecting, wait, God created me with something to offer to this world. And in the same way that Jesus came to this world to offer us salvation, offer us the gift of life, I can step into a broken space and offer to them this, the love and life of Christ, right? And I love like when they connect the dots and they figure this out because they begin to get excited. They begin to see that this life has a purpose, but they can't do that if their fists are clenched shut. They can do that when they hold with open hands who they are. And they begin to give away who they are to serve others. They become alive. They become filled with purpose. I love just seeing kind of students begin to venture out and understand what that means. Because think about a 17 or 18-year-old kid. They've got the next five years are full of like major decisions, right? And if they start understanding this at that age, it's just it sets their lives up for just an amazing sort of trajectory. And it's something that I really get to enjoy to do. But um, when I was kind of preparing all this, uh, just to give you an example of what this looks like, I told you that story in the very beginning about that pay it forward chain that went 3,600 people. This actually started by a couple of guys. They, they started a company called Live for Another. And their story goes that in 2017, they had a roommate who had uh, bone cancer. And this roommate was, you know, not given a, a high chance of, of living. Um, his, his illness was pretty bad. And uh, one of the big problems was trying to find a match for a donor. It was just hard to find. And so these two guys, they were like, you know what? Like, we're pretty good with making videos. In fact, a lot of people have told us, like, we're, we're really gifted at this. And we're actually really good at social media. We're just going to drop out of college, and through our abilities, we're going to try to match someone to our friend to maybe save his life. And so they did that. They gave everything up, and they spent the next six months with this campaign of trying to find donors that were a match for their friend who had bone cancer. In a matter of six months, they had 10,000 people registered to, to go see if they were a possible match. And in those 10,000, they found people who were, and to this day, that friend is still alive. And that sparked something in them where they realized, wait, I have something to offer people. And so they just stopped going to school and they, they began to serve the world around them with who they were, open hands. And right now, this Live for Another campaign, it's in its sixth year and it's made it through COVID. And basically you go to their website and their mission statement is they pretty much find people who are terminally ill and they help them achieve their bucket list. They call it, spread it Spreading Kindness Campaign. So they've done some crazy stuff. They've helped people have uh, helicopter rides and skydiving, lunch with Danny DeVito, and like all this weird bucket list stuff, right? But they understood something. Like we have something to offer, and we're going to be generous with who we are. Christ was generous with who he was. He was also generous with what he had. 
In verse 7, it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Anytime I think about the incarnation of Jesus, I'm always like blown away at just like God's plan for that. I mean, he's God. He, he created this, wor- this world that we walk around in. He created everything that we see. And he could have come to this earth like however he wanted to. He could have just snapped his fingers and boom, full grown like human walking around, right? But that's not what he chose to do. He, he humbled himself took on the form of a man, but then also like, like came into the world the same way you and I did. Not to be gross, but it was through a birth canal. Our Savior, holy, righteous, sinless, humble manger. And then he didn't come into this world like kind of matrix style or like, I need to know how to do this. And like God, he had to grow. Luke 2.52, right? That Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He had to study. He had to labor. He had to do all the hard things in life that you and I have to do. And for 30 years, he kind of lived his life in relative obscurity as a, as a carpenter. He worked with his hands in a little bitty town. And people kind of knew him as Joseph's boy. And then he starts his adult ministry. And he, he got himself a little platform. And people are listening. People are following. But He's not traveling in private jets or living in mansions. So the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He was homeless. Jesus was generous with what he had. Again, open hands, not closed fists. Paul sums this up so greatly in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. How beautiful is that? That Jesus had the world, but with open hands, he gave things away so that we had an example that we can identify with, so that we had a person that we could, we could connect on a, a human level with. And through that gift, we also became rich. Look, my daughter, she's five now. And when she was, I don't know, just start being able to talk. You probably experienced this a lot if you have kids. Um, everything was my, right? My blanket, my room, my cup, my, you fill in the blank, right? And that's just something that kids do kind of as they are very immature and just don't understand much about the world. They, they do that a lot, right? Everything's mine, 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 mine. And then as she's getting older, trying to explain to her, hey, not everything is yours. She's kind of grown out of that a little bit. Um, but she still does it from time to time. And she'll say, my room or my, and, and I'll just stop her and I'll say, Jade, I love you, but you own nothing, right? And like, I just, like, let's just be clear, okay? Like, that's your room, right? Yeah, it's my room. Whose house is it in? It's mom and dad's house. So whose room is it really, right? We just kind of, and i just trying to parent that out of her, right, at a young age. But as I think about that example, um, I, I think I mean, we, we do the same thing with God, right? And, and at least I know sometimes I do. On one side of my mouth, I'll sit here and I'll thank God for his provision, for his blessing. God, I recognize you as a, a generous father who gives gifts to his children and you love us. And like, I'll acknowledge all that. But then out of the other side of my mouth, I'll say things like, oh, it's my house or my car or my bank account or my 401k or my career. That's my vacation, right? And... 
in a lot of ways, it's very childish. Start clenching our fists around the things that we have in this world and believing that in some way, shape, or form that they're actually ours. So one of the things that I do with my daughter to kind of, I mean, she's five, but try to teach this, right, is um, before we go to bed, not every night, but, you know, enough. Before we go to bed, I say, Jade, how do we hold our hands? And she says, we hold them like this. And it's like, okay, Jay, why do we hold our hands like this? And she says, so that we can give what we get. And it's just this little thing that we practice, hoping that I'm teaching her uh, not to, with clenched fists, hold on to the things of this world, right? But with open hands, you want to be generous with what you have. And so maybe just a practical next step for us as we consider this, okay? Because maybe there's some in this room that feel like, man, I really, really don't have that much, right? Go home today or some point this week and just sit down at your kitchen table, right? And do like a panoramic view of whatever's in front of you. Just look left, start moving your head to the right, and with a notebook and pen or pencil, just write down everything you see. And, and be thorough. Like, you might be like, that's ridiculous. But no, really, be thorough, right? So you're, you're look, coffee pot, write it down, right? Uh, kitchen appliances, write it down. Like, just be thorough. Refrigerator, full of food, write it down. And what you're doing is you're building an inventory of things that God's given us to then give away to people around us when he calls us to do so, when he asks us to do so, right? We're we're recognizing and acknowledging the stuff maybe that God's filled our lives with, not for maybe our benefit, but for the benefit of other people. You ever thought about that? That maybe the reason you have something is so that you can give it away? Like the very reason God maybe gave it to you in the first place is for it to be a blessing to someone else? Um, We want to be generous with what we have. With open hands, we want to hold all that we have. Jesus was generous with what he had. And then the third thing, the final key uh, to unlocking this abundant life is this, is we want to be generous with where we're going. It says in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From the moment Jesus took his first breath, Everything was leading up to the cross. And he walked this earth as a man, but his future was pointed towards the cross. And with open hands, Jesus even held his future. So, God, it's not mine. (laughs) It's yours. Um, I'm so thankful for the people in my life who have made just spiritual deposits because with open hands, they held their future. They fully surrendered their whole selves to who God is, to the rule and reign of Jesus, and they allowed him to do whatever he wanted with their lives, right? And because of that, I've been blessed for that. There are many people in this room right here today who can look at Jeff and Kathy and just with grateful hearts say thank you because years ago, y'all made a decision with open hands to say, our future, God, it's yours. No matter what, the hardships, the highs, the lows, like, We're giving you where we're going, God. We want you to direct our steps. And in the wake of that, all of us have received blessing because of that, because of people who, with open hands, have said, God, take my future and do what you want with it. And look, I know we're all at different seasons of life, and this could be kind of a challenging thought. Maybe there's some people in here who are students or single, and there's a ton of decisions you've got to make, and the pressure of that can, can be immense. It could cause a lot of anxiety, but... And I challenge you with open hands to consider your future. Maybe you're newly married or you've been married for a while, but you still have no kids. 
I envy you sometimes, but <laughs> just kidding. Love my family. But those days, they were sweet. Um, a lot of freedom, right? There's not a lot of commitment. But with open hands, you hold your future saying, God, I don't, I don't want to pursue just the next promotion. I want to pursue a life dedicated to you. So whatever that looks like, God, take my steps. Maybe you're married with children and you're more committed. And this season of life is kind of, you're locked in on that. But with open hands, you're saying, I want to be generous with where we're going with my family. I want my family to be surrendered to your lordship, Jesus. I want to see what you want to do with us, wherever that may be or whatever that may uh, become. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're retired. You've put in a lot of years and you've worked long and you've worked hard and you're sitting there and, and you're, you're just enjoying life. But even in that moment with open hands, you could say, God, like tomorrow's yours. It's yours. When we were in college, uh, we had this couple, Lynn and Linda Duncan, late 60s. They were our college class Sunday school teachers. A bunch of young 20-year-olds, 40 years difference, maybe more than that, right? And they were retired, and they, just, they were just pouring into us. And I can remember just those conversations. I can remember going on mission trips with these guys. I can, like, they were awesome. My wife and I look back at just sort of the people that kind of shaped and developed our lives. Like, they're, they're a couple that had some impact on us. But it's because they understood even in retirement, God, it's yours, right? We're going to be generous with where we're going. So whatever season of life, let's not waste the precious future moments God has given us. And I do want to just take a moment to, you know, speak out against something. Look, I love our country. I love the opportunities we have, but there's an idol that gets pushed out in front of us. And if we're not careful, we'll flirt with it. And we just need to understand that this idea of pursuing the American dream, it it can become dangerous. I said earlier when Jesus said, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life, that Jesus was countercultural to kind of everything that was going on. And it's the same here. When we pursue the American dream, it's dangerous because that pursuit revolves around you and me. It's 100% centered on you and me, right? The American dream encourages that every step we take in this life ensures a future where life is comfortable and where it's convenient. It's about gaining the things of this world so we can experience the good life. And look, having stuff is not bad. But Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Instead, I think as followers of Jesus, we should shift our pursuits and we should be generous with our futures and we need to begin pursuing the advancement of the kingdom of God. This pursuit is different because it places Jesus at the center and it requires our submission to his rule and reign. We don't grasp for the future anymore with closed fists and say it's mine. Instead, we look at our tomorrows and tell Jesus that it's yours. And that's the example we see here in Christ, that he was generous with who he was. He was generous with what he had. He was generous with where he was going. And we think about our own generosity. Um, Paul's telling us to have the mindset of Christ. I think it's something we need to consider matching our lives to Jesus in this regard. I want to kind of end on sharing this illustration, and I feel like it kind of captures all this really well. Um, we have, very near to us, a, a large body of water called the Mississippi River. You're all familiar with that, I'm sure. And no matter what stat you look at, uh, the river is big. It's massive. It's huge, right? It, it's just one of the most important waterways in the history of the world, uh, in the history of our country. 
Um, it was significant and it still is in terms of economic development, in terms of cities and building cities. But did you know that on the banks of the Mississippi River, there are nearly 3,800 miles of levees? Some of those levees extend well above 30 feet high. And just a little history on levees. The first levee that was ever built was in 1717, over 300 years ago, uh, by the French to protect the city of New Orleans. That levee, this is a little comical, it was just over a mile long and only three feet high. (laughs) What good is a three-foot-high levee, you're thinking, right? Maybe if they made their people work an extra month, it could have been another foot higher. But anyway, um, look, people began constructing levees because flooding is super inconvenient. I feel like everyone in this room, you probably have firsthand experience with flooding, right? Especially if you live in this region. And if you don't, then you probably know someone who does, right? So uh, pre-levees, here's what used to happen with the river. The mouth of this river used to roam freely. And it would just kind of do its own thing. It would kind of, you know, be going into the gulf over here. And then over time, it just shift direction and then go into the gulf over here. And if you had a home in an area or a community there, that those things would flood. And you'd have to pick up and start over. And it just, it's a big pain. Like, we all, we all know this, right? Because we, like I said, have probably experienced flooding in our own homes, whether it be a hurricane or just some of the rivers around here. So what began to happen is levees over time began to get built, and ultimately we have the system that we have today. And as great as that's been for our cities, there's been a consequence to that. Um, It's been detrimental to the environment because something that used to happen when that river was free and it used to roam wherever it wanted to go is it would do two things. One, it would bring fresh, nutrient-dense water into an area and kind of fill the ecosystem with life. It would would replenish and restore the things that were broken down. And when that water would shift in its wake, there would be silt and new sediment, and it would be this barrier between the gulf and that freshwater system and any incoming storm. It would kind of protect it from the surge of incoming storms from the gulf. It would keep salt water out. But the other thing it also did is as it flushed through these systems, all the things that over time begin to stagnate and become dead and become rotten and, and, uh, you know, just decaying, that water would push those things out, right? And so this cycle would bring life and, and, and establish life and protect the areas that it went into. And I think about this idea of levees. I think about what it's done. And, and you know, right now we're struggling. Uh, our coast is eroding these areas that no longer have access to fresh water, they're dying, they're decaying, they're eroding. Every storm seems to take more land back into the gulf. Salt water moves in. It, it brings death and it brings stagnation. It brings rot. It brings decay. When I think about this, I think it's a good maybe metaphor for our lives. Because sometimes I feel like we have a tendency to build levees around ourselves. Maybe it's just to protect us from being inconvenienced or protect us from being hurt. But maybe in our past, we've been generous with people, but it's been taken advantage of. And that stings and it hurts. We've been burned, so we, we put up a levy, right? Or maybe we believe that the things that we have is a result of only our hard work, and it belongs to no one else, and we don't want anyone messing with it, so we, we put up a little levy to kind of protect it. Or maybe 
We believe the possessions we have are our way of showing the world that we've succeeded, that we've done it, that we've made it. And so we put up a levy because we want to make sure those things are, in, are shored up and protected. And all the while we're building levies around our lives, what we're doing is we're actually choking out life because we're cutting off our lives from the life source, which is Jesus. And stagnation maybe creeps in. Death and decay begins to follow. And we're left longing for Jesus and the life that he promised he would give, that abundant life, the good life, right? But here's the thing about generosity. The more we're generous, the more it tears down those boundaries, breaks down those levees, helps us to experience the abundant life that Christ promised. See, when we allow God's blessings to freely flow, freely flow to us and through us, life begins to happen, not just in you, but in a people that are around you, right? You feel life, but you also are able to bring and deliver life as well. When we start closing our hands, when we start clenching our fists, when we start to tighten our grip on the things we have, on who we are and on where we're going, we begin to cut off Christ. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus who have the mindset of Christ, who try to match our lives to the way that Jesus lived, then we need to do everything that we can to keep our hands open. Maybe that's daily reminders. Maybe that's being generous on purpose, even when it doesn't make sense, because that forces us to to give things out, right? But God's going to bless that. And this isn't some, like, bait or switch thing where it's like, if I'm generous in this way, it's going to come back to me tenfold or whatever. Like, I don't know that it works that way, at least not in this life. I know we're guaranteed one thing, and that's eternity with God in heaven, and we could look forward to that. But I do believe that God is going to, bless the advancement of his kingdom. He promises us this much. Paul wraps this section up in verses 9, 10, and 11. And to me, this is a summary of how God chooses through Christ's generosity to bless the advancement of his kingdom. In verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Look, every kingdom needs a king. And through Jesus' generosity, God advanced his kingdom. But also, this is awesome, God exalts Jesus back to the very throne he vacated in order to serve and love humanity. I believe God is going to use the generosity of his people to advance his kingdom, and to make tangible the love of Christ to those around us. So my challenge to you today as we kind of close this up is, um, as you're considering this, will you attach your life to the mission of God? Will you intertwine your life to the mission of God? In doing so, it requires us to be generous. It requires us with open hands to kind of walk through life, ready to give away the things that God's given to us. And in that process, we're going to experience life. We're going to experience purpose and joy. And it will be abundant the way that Jesus promised. So will you be generous today? Will you open your hands with who you are? Will you open your hands with what you have? And will you open your hands with where you're going and unlock life abundantly the way that Christ wants us to live. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, for giving us a, an example 
that we can follow. Forgiven as an example that we were blessed by and served by. Jesus, it's through your generosity that we have life. It's through your generosity that we understand your love. It's through your generosity that we have purpose and joy and hope. And in the same way that you were generous with all things, you called us to be generous in all things as well. And not only will we experience those things, but the people around us who we care deeply about, they would experience those things as well. The broken spots in this world that need healing, the the spots that need restoration, the places that are chaotic, that just need peace. God, we are people who can bring that because of our connection to you, but it happens when we have open hands and we allow your life to flow to us and through us. So Father, help us to be a generous people. Help us to be known by our selflessness. Help us to be known by our desire to serve one another, to count others more important than ourselves. God, thank you for that life. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. As we go out, let's remind ourselves of our commission. It's on the screen. Would you just say with me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you.